wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans. The New Testament book of Romans in chapter number 14. When we think about our wonderful God, He is a wonderful God. But we also got to remember that He is in still God. And He's worthy of all of our worship all of our attention, all of our desire, all of our heart, all of our adoration. And it is this God that one day we're going to stand before and we're going to give an account. And with it, we have responsibilities before the Lord. A great responsibility, a privilege to serve Him. But we have to guard something we call influence. And if you wouldn't mind, notice with me in the book of Romans in chapter number 14. The book of Romans chapter 14 and notice with me in verse number 1. The book of Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1, the word of God says this. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him that eateth despise, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him to stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14 in verse number 7, it says, For none of us liveth to himself. For none of us liveth unto himself. And with this principle in mind, I want to preach to you about the principle of influence. Influence. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for you being a wonderful God. And as we hit this idea, this principle, Lord, I know that this is so important. I'm asking that you would help us to to be spiritually aware, that we would search our own hearts and that we could see the idea of this influence, the influence that we have to others. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to be biblical in our relationships and how we deal with people, knowing that one day we're going to stand before you and give an account, and knowing that one day they're going to stand before God. 
and give an account. Lord, I need your help to get this across as clearly and as biblically as possible. Lord, help, Lord, help. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Notice what this passage says again. Let's do the context of it, and then we're going to go through this principle a little bit. Notice in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. It's saying, just go ahead and accept people, bring people in, but hey, not if they're going to cause problems. If they're going to come and just they just want to argue and all that other stuff, he says, that, that's not what we're looking for. But it's saying that, you know, some of us, may have disagreements. Some of us may have different views on certain things. And it's allowable. You know what? You're allowed to believe whatever you want, knowing that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. I'm going to give that principle a little bit later. But you know what? People don't have to believe exactly what we do in order for them to be a member here. Now, if they're going to come or be come to the church here, but if they're going to come and they're going to say, well, no, this is wrong and this is wrong, uh, that's a line that we cross and, and put it up here. Now, God takes this idea and he brings an example. Notice in verse number two. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that uh, eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Now, I know something like this would never ever, ever happen in an independent Baptist church. But the principle was, and and they had some Bible and some law, there were some people that said, you know what, it's against the law. God says you can't eat pork chops. I meant, you just can't have bacon, you can't have pigs. I meant, if you're going to be truly righteous and truly holy, you're just going to have to eat rabbit food. I meant you just eat leaves and you eat the apple seeds and apple cores and banana peels. I mean, you if it comes from a plant, you eat that. But you stay away from pork and you stay away from pork chops. You stay away from bacon cheeseburgers and, uh, you know, and all this other stuff. Uh, you stay away from that. If you want to be right with God, you stay away from it. Another guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. God says I can eat anything I want. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm not going to hell for eating a cheeseburger. And so they get in a fight. Because one guy says, I can't believe so-and-so. He calls himself a Christian. And look at that, eating that cheeseburger and the sauce is coming down. I mean, what kind of Christian is he? And this guy over here says, can you believe how narrow and closed-minded this guy is? I mean, he's got his own thing. And you know what? It's all over food. I know that we would never get in piddly disputes of something that really just doesn't matter, a hill of beans when it's all said and done. I know we would never, ever imagine that. But let's just imagine that there's some other church somewhere that may struggle with with this type of thing. And the Apostle Paul is bringing this up. Notice in verse 4. Who art thou that judge another man's servant? Now, this is important. Notice what God said. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? You know, if I had an employee, and I told my employee to do it this way, and someone else had an employee and said, I want you to do it this way, what right do I have to go to this other guy's employee and say, you're doing it all wrong? You're not my boss. You know, notice what God says here through the inspiration of scripture with Paul 
that who art thou that judgest another man's servant? You know who we are? We're God's servant. We're answerable to God. That's who I have to give an account to. I don't give an account to you or whatever else. Uh, Now, he's not trying to be mean and he's not trying to whatever else. But when it's all said and done, I stand before God and I give an account for my life. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. I stand before God and give an account to my life. Now, notice verse uh, verse number five. Uh, And verse number four, let's get all of it. For who... Art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Basically, he has to give an account to his own master. Yea, he should be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. If you're doing what God wants you to do, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's what it says. Verse 5, One man steameth a day above another, another man every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He says, all right, let's go past the plant thing. Here's a guy who says, you know what? Some days are super, super special and holy. And on this day, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do that. Another guy says, hey, it's just like another day. And God says, don't get in a fight. He says, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. Meaning that each person has to go to God, and they have to do what they believe is right, knowing that they're going to stand before God and give an account. Now, we call this doctrine individual soul liberty individual soul liberty what this doctrine says is that since every one of us have access to god by the way every one of us have access to god you can talk to god yourself since every one of us have access to god we have the right and responsibility to go to god and find out what he wants us to do we have to go to him and find out what his good and perfect and acceptable will for my life. It is, I have to go up to God and I have to find out what standards he wants for me and my family. I can't dictate standards for someone else's family. I have to just worry about my own family. I don't need to worry about what other people are eating. That uh, God, I have enough problem minding my own business, Right? I had an evangelist friend of mine, he says, we're going to have a conference here, and what I want you to have in mind, mind your own business. Don't look around everywhere else in the church and say what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right. You worry about your own business. We have enough to worry about just trying to keep our own lawn mowed, trying to keep everything else. But we have to stand before God and give an account. You have to find God's will for yourself. Now, I'm a preacher, but I, all I am is a guide. I can show you some borders that the Bible has and say this is where the Bible has, where you can't go past this or it has to be within here. But I cannot tell you what God's good and perfect and acceptable will for your life is. I cannot tell you whether you're supposed to buy a Ford F-150 or not. I can't tell you where you're supposed to live. That is not my place. You have to go to God for yourself and find these. I can't tell you where to work. I can't tell you how long to read your Bible. Now, I could suggest, but you have to go to God for yourself and find God's perfect will, knowing that you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for your own decisions. Now, this is a freeing doctrine, but it's also a frightening doctrine. It's freeing because I don't have to worry about everybody else. It's a, it's a fearful one knowing that my judgments, my decisions, my things I do for my life, 
I stand before God and I give an account all by myself. When you stand before God, your pastor is not going to be holding your hand. Your parents won't be there supporting you. You will stand before God alone to give account for your own life. And so this is an important thing. This idea of influence. Notice as it goes on, verse number 6. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. Or he doth not regard it. He that eateth, so it goes back to the eating thing again. He that eateth pork chops and stuff, eateth to the Lord. And he, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, um, he eateth not and giveth thanks. So you got the guy with the plants and stuff, the guy who says, Lord, bless the pork chops. You know, and he says, thank you, Lord, for letting me eat pork chops. That's fine. You got a guy who says, I don't have the right, I don't have the conviction, I don't feel like I can eat pork chops. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given me to eat. They're both thanking God. It doesn't mean that you're wrong with God. You have to follow what you believe the Lord has given you to do. Good. Now, this is all introduction. (laughs) Verse number 7. For none of us liveth to himself. Notice that phrase. Do you know that you do not live in a bubble? Each one of your actions and decisions affect someone else. You said, wait a second, preacher. You told us not to judge everyone. That means I could live my life however I want. No one could do anything about it. I didn't say that at all. I said that you have to stand before God and give an account. And you have the freedom and the responsibility to find out what God wants you to do. And that I can't tell you and no one else can tell you. You need to find out for God's will for yourself. Now, I can guide you. But we also remember each of our decisions affect someone else. Some of you don't realize that these little kids in here look up to you. And they watch you. And they learn from you. They may learn from how you walk. You know, if you decide you're going to walk with a swagger walk into church like that, one of these kids are going to walk in that because they watch you. They learn from you. You adults, Sunday school teachers, people in the church who've been here for a while, these kids watch you and how you behave yourself and how you talk and how you treat others. And they learn from you. No one lives in a bubble. Every one of your actions and decisions affect someone else this is the principle we call influence every one of us have influence over someone some of us may have great influence over a lot of people some of us may have just a little influence over people but every one of us have influence every one of us have a life that we touch and that we affect and we have to guard our influence and use it wisely which brings me to my first point the possession of influence the possession of influence every single one of us possesses influence because of this to be honest influence is probably the only tool we have that is all ours the bible is god's and god will do his own work through it but influence is what we have with other people and we 
get more influence by our actions or will we lose influence by our actions? Influence is pretty much our only tool that we have of ourselves. Because of that, we have to guard influence. Have you ever lost influence with someone? You wish you had it back. Because once you lose it, it's so hard to get back. Once you ruin your testimony, once you mess up in front of someone, it is so hard to get that level of influence back. That's why we have to guard ourselves. We have to watch what we say. We have to watch how we deal with things. You know, as a pastor, I have a lot of influence. Let's say someone at the end of service wanted to talk with me and I waved them off and I did it in such a way I didn't mean to, but to them they thought it was rude. I could hurt someone really bad. Not meaning to, just getting busy and just, you know... That's the influence that we have. And we have to guard our influence. We have to protect our influence. Now, if we're living the Christian life we're supposed to be living, we'll have a strong sense of the presence of God. What do I mean by that? That God is watching us at all times. That God sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You know, I don't want to steal another song, but... You know, we know that, that it is God who is the true and living God. He watches what you watch. He knows what you're watching. He knows what you read. He knows what you listen to. He knows what you put in yourself. He sees it all. And we have to guard our influence. We have to guard what we have. And that if you know that God is there with you, there are certain things you cannot do if you know that God is with you. There are certain things you cannot watch if you know that God is with you. There are certain things you can't hear or can't enjoy knowing that God is there. Prove it to you, right? If the preacher said, hey, I'm showing up to your house today, (laughs) what type of things would you say, i got to hurry up and beat him there, kind of clean up the house, put it aside? Preacher says, hey, you know what? I'm going to spend all day with you tomorrow. And whatever you do, I'll do. What type of things would you avoid in your usual schedule just because preacher's there? What type of things would you try to put in your schedule just because preacher's there? Well, I want to tell you that preacher can't be everywhere at once. But God knows what you're at. And there's a bigger difference because God is the one you're going to stand before and give an account. And if you know the presence of God is there, it is going to cause you to live your life differently knowing that you're going to stand before him and you're going to give an account for your life. This also lets us know and reminds us that we have influence and knowing that I'm going to have to give an account to God, I have to be careful with how I treat and how I influence others around us. For example, this would never, ever, ever happen. So I'm going to use it as a facetious example. Well, let's say that Miss Becky said, all right, kids, Let me teach you how to steal from the store and get away from it. That would never happen. But do you understand how that influence could affect them for the rest of their lives? And if she knows that one day she's going to stand before God and give an account, wouldn't that be a horrible thing to stand before God and and have to give an account and say, God, and, and explain to him why you taught these kids how to steal? Can you imagine trying to explain that off to God? 
See, our influence is something we've got to guard and we've got to protect, knowing that we have to give an account to God for the decisions we make and the people we influence and the things that we do in our life. With that, we have the possession of influence. Let's go to the power of influence. The power of influence. There is a lot of power in our influence. And as God grants us influence with other people, we have to use it wisely. Notice with me some passages in the Bible. We're going to come back to Romans 14. But notice with me some passages in the Bible where influence was used for good. And you, let's look at the good one for good first. Matthew chapter 5. And let's see how someone's influence could be used for good. What we mean by that is that you could use your influence to bring people to the Lord and get them closer to the Lord and fall in love with the Lord. This is the type of influence we want to use wisely. Matthew chapter 5, if you wouldn't mind. Matthew 5, and notice with me in verse 16. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Notice what it says. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Notice that. They didn't say because they see your shiny, radiant, beaming face that they'll glorify God. They'll see your good works. You see, they people watch what we do And if we're serving God with our life, they're going to glorify God because they say, look at what that person is doing. Praise the Lord. Look at how God is using that person. We can use our influence for good. Oh, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing for someone to come back to you and say, because of you, I chose to serve God. Because of you, I stayed in church. Because of you, I read my Bible. That's the type of influence we want to have. We want to encourage people to do those things for the Lord. Our influence can also be used for the bad. Notice with me in Matthew, since we're there, Matthew in 23. Jesus is preaching a very scathing message to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23. And notice in verse 15 what the Lord says. Matthew 23 and verse 15. Notice our influence can be used for bad. Notice verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. He's saying, hey, you hypocrites, you guys look and scour just to find one person, and you take that one person and you teach them to be just like you, and they end up being twice as bad as you are. Twice the child of hell. More self-righteous, more self-dependent, less worried about God. We could use our influence to bring people away from the Lord by how we live. You imagine that someone grabs some of your bad traits. You know what sin does? Sin will always cost you more than you wanted to pay and take you a lot further than you ever wanted to go. You know what our influence does? You know what the next generation does? Is... If you take things to the edge, they always take things further. They take things further than you ever would. That's why we need to be as conservative uh, in what we do as much as possible because the next generation is going to try to get away with more and more and more. If you try to toe the line, they're going to cross the line. We need to be careful with the influence that we have because each generation tries to take it further and further and further. Notice in Mark chapter 7, 
Notice this power of influence. This is an amazing thing. We know that the Bible is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing both to the, uh, to the soul and spirit and to the bone and marrow, knowing the thoughts and intents of the heart. It can show us all these things. The Word of God is so powerful. But notice the one thing that can make the Word of God dull. Notice in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus is speaking again to the same crowd, making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered and many such like things you do. Do you know the way you live your life can make the Word of God of none effect? None effect. You have a neighbor that you've been saying, come to church, come to church, come to church. And then the next thing you know, you got a DUI. You know what you did? You made everything go away. The whole thing just disappeared. That everything that you were talking about the Word of God is just gone in an instant. It could take you 30 seconds to destroy something that you took 30 years to build. That's how fragile our influence can be if we use it unwisely. We can make everything we've done, everything we've preached, everything that we've encouraged disappear in just one moment to make the Word of God of none effect. Think about that phrase. Mull that over for a second. The powerful Word of God could be made of none effect by our traditions, by getting our way, by our influence. One more thing, if we wouldn't mind, in this power of influence. Notice Galatians chapter number 6. Here's another way that we could use our influence for good. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here it's talking about a person who has fallen. Maybe something happened in their life and, 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 and they're fallen. You know what we like to do with fallen Christians? We like to get in line and kick them. But here it says, ye who are spiritual, you take the guy up and says, all right, you messed up, but let me help you get right. I'm sorry that you messed up. Let's get back together. and Let's go with the Lord together. That's, what's, that's the power of influence, to be able to influence and to bring that person who fell and messed up and pick them up and say, you could still serve God. You could still be used. You, God still loves you. That takes a spiritual man to do that. And that's influence. That's influence. So we see the possession of influence. All of us have influence. We see the power of influence that it can be used for good. It can be used to bad. It can make the word of God in effect. It can restore people. We've got to use our influence wisely. Turn back with me to the book of... Um, uh, let's take a pit stop along the way. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then we'll go back to Romans. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see two men mentioned in a short passage... We have the Apostle Paul who had great influence. He's reaching the end of his life. He's fixing to take a shortcut to glory. He's going to be beheaded very soon. <clears throat> and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to his son of the faith. And notice what he says starting in verse 6. 
He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all them that also love his appearing. You know how many people Paul influenced for the Lord? And he's going to stand before God. And he's going to give an account to God. You know, every time you give an account doesn't necessarily be a bad thing. Paul's going to give an account to God. And he's going to receive rewards for his influence. For all these people that he's brought closer to the Lord. But notice the next verse. He says... Uh, due diligence uh, to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Here's Demas. He had served with Paul and he quit. You know how many people Demas hurt when he quit? You know how many people he discouraged? How many people may have quit with him because he quit? He's going to stand before God and give an account too for his influence. And how many people quit because he quit? How many people didn't try as hard. How many people got discouraged because he quit? You see, our matter of influence is important. And we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. Which brings us back to Romans chapter 14. This progression of influence. A progression of influence. Romans chapter 14. Now pick it up in verse number 8 if you wouldn't mind. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. You see, we recognize that everything we do, we're going to give an account. So you better might as well do it for the Lord, because He's watching everything. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived. Why did Christ die and rose and revive? That He might be both Lord of the dead and living. God wants to be God of overall. Verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Here it says we have this, this idea that we're going to stand before God and give an account. That we don't have to make people believe what we do. Listen to that. This is important. This is part of soul liberty. We don't have to make People believe like we do. It's not our job to twist people's arm and say, you believe like this or else. You know all we are? We're messengers. All we do is give them information and people make their own decisions based off the information given to them, knowing that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account. You know, this is so freeing. I'm a pastor. I don't have to go at home every night and say, well, they don't believe like I do. You don't have to. My job is to give information and I'm supposed to work on how I give my information and guard my influence and work at better communication. But I'm just a messenger. I don't give an account for what you believe. I give an account for what I teach. You know, this is a wonderful thing. You know, a Muslim has a right to be a Muslim. You say, oh, a Muslim has a right to be a Muslim. Because one day he's going to stand before God and he's going to give an account for his decisions. Now, it doesn't mean I can't be heartbroken for his decisions. And there are many times people make decisions that you are heartbroken for. But they're not my decisions to make. 
You know, this is a Baptistic doctrine. This is a doctrine that Baptist people have bled and died for over the years because most religions, most Christian religions, do not believe this doctrine of individual soul liberty. Do you know the Catholic Church, the Roman Church, killed 50 million Baptists because we didn't believe like they did? They would go to people's houses and say, Hey, listen here, you let us baptize your infant or we're going to kill you. And they say, I'm sorry, we do not believe that. They said, listen here, don't you understand? Your child's going to die and you're going to die. I'm sorry, we do not believe that. And they were killed, many of them. That's the Catholics. Here's the Lutherans. Martin Luther, the founder of it, when he went on his deathbed, he told his followers to kill as many Jews and Baptists as possible. Adolf Hitler loved to quote Luther. You know, he says, hey, look, our religious father, our Christian father said kill as many Jews as possible. That doesn't make the textbooks, does it? But Luther honestly believed that the state was to force people to become Lutherans or they kill them. John Calvin, another reformer. He actually drowned an atheist in a well because the atheist was an atheist. He says, you either believe like I do, or I'm going to kill you. And how many religions all throughout, whether it's Christian religions or whatever else, how many of them believe that they have to force others to believe? It's not our job to force people to believe. Our job is to influence them, to encourage them, to love on them. But all we have is our influence. And we need to use it wisely. And we need to encourage people. But at the end of the day, we just love on people. We encourage them. We try to use it. But we cannot make decisions for them. And we cannot make them to believe the way that we do. This is a free thing. I know so many people who get so frustrated because someone doesn't believe it exactly like I do. They don't believe it this and it should be this. You, didn't, you don't need to kill yourself over that. That's what this whole passage is talking about. Don't you think those people were in a pretty heated argument for Paul to bring it up about the guy who says you should eat pork chops the other guy says no, you just eat plant food? You say, who's right? It doesn't matter. They had to go before God and say, for me and my house, I am fully persuaded in my own mind this is what I'm supposed to do. And they're going to stand before God and they're going to give an account. Now, guess what? This gives you room to learn and grow. Maybe the guy with the pork chop says, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be eating so many pork chops. Maybe the guy with the plant food says, you know, I think I can eat a steak every now and again and not go to hell, you know, and whatever. And, and we say it facetiously, but there's some people who have stuff and they make it doctrines that you live or die by. Now, I'm, I'm all for standards and I'm not trying to squish standards. But my standards are what I believe is right for me and my house, knowing that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account. As a pastor, I have a little bit to say about this church. That is for this church, knowing that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account. This is the borders. This is what we're going to do. But in people's personal life, you do what you see fit in your own house, knowing that you're going to stand before God and give an account. Now, again, the whole point of this thing is that individual soul liberty. But since we can't make people believe, the only thing we have is influence. And through our life and through our actions and through what we say, we want to bring people to the Lord. 
We can't twist their arm. We can't force them. We can say, listen here, I'm going to kill you if you don't go to church. We can't do that. But what we can do is say, I love you. Will you please do this? Will you please, you know, and teach them. This is why we do this. This is what I believe. And teach them. But at the end of the day, they make their own decision. Like I said, this is a freeing doctrine that it is not your job to make everyone believe just like you do. But at the same time, we realize our own responsibility that we have to stand before God and we have to give an account for our own lives and how we influenced others to either come closer to the Lord or if we pushed them further away. Let's use our influence wisely. Let's pray if you don't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, I'm just asking that you would just help us